Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. James Boyd from The Athletic going to join us here in just a second. Reminder, 7.30 tonight, Pacers on the road. They're in Memphis. John Morant's first game there. Uh, second, Well, second game, first game in Memphis. Back with the Grizz. Should be uh, quite the scene there in Memphis. Our coverage here on The Fan beginning at 7.30. And uh, we'll dive back more next segment. Scott Agnes will join us. We'll talk more about the Pacers then. All right, let's jump into some Anthony Richardson, some Colts, some playoffs, and everything else. James Boyd joins us from The Athletic on the Payless Liquors Hotline on this Thursday. JB, good morning. How are you today, sir? Living the dream, man. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We'll dive into uh, Sunday's game and everything else, but one reason we wanted to have you on, uh, Anthony Richardson and other players visiting Riley Children's Hospital. Again, like we said at the beginning of last segment, so many players from all the teams here uh, and coaches doing such great things uh, around the holiday time. What did you make? You got to speak with Anthony Richardson. The sling is off. He was playing some NBA. What was it, two with the kids what did you make yeah. uh what did you make of his mingling and some of the words that he said about his rehab obviously he's a great dude so it was good to see him smiling because i think when he first had the surgery he was so down and out because he's disappointed right you're 21 you're the number four pick and you can't finish the season but i think since getting out of the sling and being a little more mobile he's excited about that and then he was able to just spread some joy to a bunch of children who still see him as this superhero figure, he was telling us, hey, man, like, I'm not used to, and I don't think I'll ever get used to people viewing me as this figure, but I'm glad that I can, you know, put a smile on somebody else's face. And he put it in perspective. He was like, yeah, sure, my shoulder's messed up, but this little shoulder is nothing compared to what they're going through. You know, a lot of these kids are battling cancer and things like that. So it was good to catch up with him. His progress is, you know, moving pretty well. He's about halfway through his rehab when it comes to throwing a football. But before anybody asks, no, he will not play again this season. <laughs> that was quite no. the reaction from Shane Steichen yesterday when you uh, when, when you asked that question. <laughs> he's not on Twitter, KB. <laughs> no, no, he's not on Twitter. Lord knows uh, that, that that that'll never happen. Uh, James Boyd with us here from the Athletic. One more on the Richardson front, um, and I want to make sure I have these dates right. Surgery was in late October. Is that right? Yeah, October twenty fourth. Okay, and then sixteen weeks post surgery is when he is expected to be throwing, or that's kind of the and he obviously hopes to be ahead of schedule. Were his comments exactly? That would be the time that he would throw a football again, and and actually, ironically, Tuesday marked exactly eight weeks, so he's halfway there. You know, I'm thinking to myself. Okay, so if you map that out, that gets you to like mid February. That would leave probably two, two and a half months before really the off season program begins. You know, you start to do the seven on seven stuff, individual work, OTAs follow after that in late May and early June. You know, two full months. I think that kind of checks out with you know what Shane Steichen said the day after surgery. I guess you know when we asked him about hey. You know, should he be good for the offseason program? Because I do think it's important for him to get that full offseason work in as a starter because obviously he didn't get that as a rookie and didn't get it from a, you know, Gardner Minshew splitting rep standpoint during that time of year. Absolutely. I think that's huge. And um, as you said, Shane Sykin was thinking like I was crazy yesterday when I asked about him. And he did say 
they expect him to be ready by the spring. So that's encouraging news. Obviously, you, go. you know, we have to see how he progresses. But again, um, this is a guy who I think his spirits are just lifted because he's finally seeing some progress. Obviously, right after you get surgery done, you're not going to see a lot of it right away. But he's progressing. He's doing pretty well. And like I said, he was in good spirits. And it was just good to see him. Because, you know, we hadn't seen him a lot either. So just seeing him in the flesh and kind of being reminded of how much talent is in that body, you're just like, man, if he stays healthy, you know, maybe some good things can happen here in Indianapolis. James Boyd with us from The Athletic here. Wake up call on the fan on this Thursday. I don't know. We were talking about this uh, yesterday. I'll put you on the spot just a little bit. I always wonder, like seeing Anthony Richardson yesterday, I have no idea if he would have played the, uh, the entire year this year, James. Like, are they better? Are they worse? Is it about the same? Uh, he would have made more dynamic plays. He would have thrown the ball more down the field. He also may have turned it over at times. Minshew's done some bad things. He's done some great things as well. Like, it's just interesting, the the layers to this season. We'll never know exactly what the Colts would have been. Like, are they not a playoff team, or are they – one of the, you know, do they have two more wins if Anthony Richardson is playing this entire season? We'll never know, JB. We'll never know. I hear you on that. I think they'd probably be a better team, a more talented team. But I will agree with you, Andy, when people sort of look at their schedule, they're like, man, if Anthony was in here, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win. But it's like you can't discredit some of the wins that they've had. Like, for example, are, are we sure that a rookie, you know, Anthony Richardson goes to Baltimore and wins? I'm not saying that it's not possible, but some of these uh, wins and losses, you know, I love the fans. They look at it and they're like, all right, well, you know, they barely beat this team. So that, that win stands with Anthony Richardson. But the other losses, he flips all of those. So they really – they would have 10 wins right now. And it's like, I don't right. know if that's how it works because <laughs> the NFL is very um, finicky in a way that makes it such a fun league. I mean, every week something weird happens, so you can't guarantee that – just because maybe a more talented quarterback would have been in there, they'd be an absolutely better team, especially considering he's a rookie and he still would have had some of those growing pains. Tony Brown suspended three games. Isaiah McKenzie. Shane Steichen didn't give any details, didn't want to say too much, obviously, yesterday. What is your read of the situation? What is the fallout on the field? McKenzie was playing a nice amount, special team, slot wide receiver backup, and uh, Tony Brown about 71% of those snaps on special teams. Now what at those positions? Yeah, absolutely. I think, obviously, you look at what maybe can happen with Josh Downs as the main punt returner. Um, I know Daryl Baker Jr. got some burn as far as a special teams gunner in the absence of Tony Brown. So um, on the surface, it's not a huge, huge loss. Obviously, it's not ideal with the team trying to make a playoff push. But from what I've tried to glean about the situation, it is very internal. Um, Obviously, the team is not happy with whatever happened. And my whole thing is, if it is to the point where you feel the need to suspend these guys and you're trying to make a playoff push, I have to ask as well, like, okay, would you be willing to even bring them back next season, considering that both guys are in the contract year? And, and right now it doesn't seem like that will be a realistic you know, decision by the franchise. So um, obviously it's a very unique situation and because the NFL didn't suspend these guys. I know a lot of fans and, and people are like, oh, is it gambling? No, gambling is an NFL suspension. You're not going like, to get any brownie points for suspending your own guys for the NFL <laughs> does. It's not drugs because drugs, it's your first-time offense. For PEDs, we've seen that happen with Grover Stewart and Al-Qadim Muhammad where you get suspended six games right away. So it's something else, um, and, and obviously it's unfortunate, again, just that this has happened and it's become sort of a thing with this team where every month or so something weird happens and we have to talk about suspensions. James, I was trying to compare, and again, James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic. I was trying to compare the, um, I'm trying to think of the word here, I guess the the punishment level. So inactive on Saturday, for me, that punishment level is like my mom telling me to go to my room. 
and now suspending them for three games without pay, that's like my mom saying, the cops are outside, you're in the state penitentiary. Like, I mean, it, it is a, to me, that is a, just a incredibly different sort of punishment scenario by the Colts. So I guess outside of the details, what is one question you would want answered in this? One for me would be, why not cut them? Why, why the suspension? Clearly there's some evidence they have that deems them worthy to be suspended in a very substantial manner uh, as opposed to just outright cutting them. What would be a question or two you might have that you want answered? That would be one of them. And then the next one for me would be have they played their last game as Colts? Because, again, I just don't see how, you know, they're – kind of fringe roster guys in a sense. Like, they're good enough to be, you know, NFL contributors, but they're also not big, big-time players where you're willing to maybe give them so many more chances. So you wonder, okay, was this just the final straw, you know, for, for their behavior? And obviously this is something that, you know, they feel like is not something that they can have going forward. And, again, I will, you know, preface this by saying, you know, seven suspensions, all of them were not with Shane Steichen at the helm and, right. and as the coach and in this position – but, again, for the entire team organization, you know, GM Chris Ballard and others, you have to look at, okay, we're, you know, we're a team in the NFL, but it's had seven suspensions in the last, like, four months, I believe it is, Kevin. So, again, you cannot go forward with that. But I would definitely like to know if, you know, given some truth serum with Chris Ballard or somebody else or Jim Irsay, you know, be willing to tell us, okay, are these guys out? And it's just the way you have to kind of go about this thing where you have to suspend them now, but you know in your mind they're not coming back you know, potentially next season. And then also, I guess I would ask Kevin, is this, does this mean they're done for the year? You know, Shane Steichen wouldn't touch it, but they make the playoffs. That becomes another question for us to ask. Yeah, my uneducated opinion would say we have seen them play their last game, but no, I think that's a fair question that you asked. Shifting gears here, and by the way, James is latest on Alec Pierce. Want to make sure we get, give him a chance here at the end to chat a little bit about that. Um, pretty touching story, um, not only on the field, but it's certainly off the field as well. Again, James Boyd with us. Matt Gay popping up on the injury report. I think it's very encouraging news that Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman signs leading into practice today. But Matt Gay, right hip. I would assume you're under the impression of until they make a kicker move, Matt Gay is still going to be the guy on Sunday? Absolutely. I think that's why you pay him the big bucks. Obviously, the injury is a bit alarming. And maybe it makes sense because of you know some of the uncharacteristic mixes that he's had. But again, um, this is a player who you're going to need. And I think that with everything that went right last week as far as different guys stepping up, special teams is one of the weakest units of this team last week. So you just wonder, okay, you survived last week. Can you get back on track this week? Because the margin in the NFL, even against teams that aren't as talented, aren't as good like Atlanta, you cannot have these special teams blunders and expect to continue to win at a consistent rate. So um, we'll see what happens with him. But like you said, Kevin, the bigger news is JT being an estimated full participant in practice, you know, their walkthrough, and then today we'll get out there and see for ourselves um, what's going on with him. And Michael Pittman Jr., maybe the extra day helps, you know, both of them, you know, get on the right track to play at Atlanta, which would be a huge boost for this team as they try to continue to make this playoff push. James Boyd with us. James, are you going to the game on Sunday? You going to be in Atlanta? Yes, sir. I'll be in Atlanta. I will not be with my family on Christmas. And, you know, my family, my mom is like, you know, you couldn't make it back for us. And, you know, you couldn't fly to this city. And I'm like, you know, um, flights aren't free, mom. So I'll see you when I see you. Also, also flying, you might you might be sitting in an airport uh, instead of sitting uh, at home. I was, I was wondering, I mean, Atlanta's got to 
They got to have someone like Ludacris rappel down from the ceiling. Remember that a few weeks ago? We talked about that. So that might be your Christmas gift. How do you for, how do you forecast this game? I mean, right now, ESPN's matchup predictor has the you know has Atlanta with a fifty point eight percent chance of winning. Atlanta now favored by one in this game. I think that's the newest line. Uh, what do you make of it? How do you think this plays out on Sunday? Yeah, well, with Atlanta favored, I will say that the Colts, I don't know if you can call this an upset, but they upset the Falcons and they win this game, mainly because of the dysfunction that's happened with the Falcons this year. You see another quarterback change. Desmond Ritter, uh, ironically, Alec Pierce's college quarterback gets benched. They throw Taylor Heineke in there. We know what he did last year against this team. But um, to me, this is a team, and I've talked to Zaire Franklin about it, DeForest Buckner, they feel like – as long as we take care of our business, we don't have to depend on help for anybody else. And in this tight race where even this last week, things didn't really break their way to get more distance or more breathing room, you need to go out there and execute against a team that is not good, in my opinion. Now, I look at the last remaining games. Atlanta is not a good team. The, the Raiders are certainly not a good team. And then you have Houston, which to me is like a toss-up. You handle your business against the teams that are not good. And then, you know, going into the last week of the season, you see where things stand with, with Houston and, and maybe handle business there. But you cannot, in my opinion, go down to Atlanta and, and lose against this team, which is, has been, you know, sort of just up and down and, and afterthought and really is only in division contention because they're in such a bad division. It's James Floyd with us here from The Athletic. Turn your mic on. Uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't worry. I opened the show. What was it last week? Uh, yeah, welcome in. Uh, KB and Andy, you know, went for about 10 seconds and you were looking at me like, yo, idiot, turn your mic on. I'm already coasting to the Christmas holiday <laughs> here. James Boyd from The Athletic with us here on the Payless Secrets Hotline. James, I do want to ask, and this is on the heels of what I thought was Gardner Minshew's best game of the season. I do want to look a little bit ahead. He is a free agent. The Colts, I think, have some very notable free agents. Michael Pittman Jr., of course, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore. Talk about a guy that's had a nice year. How about Julian Blackman, Zach Moss? Mm. So of that five-person list, toss Gardner onto it. Pittman, Moss, Grover, Kenny, Blackman, and Gardner Minshew. Where would you rank Gardner of importance to bring back of those six names? That is a great question. I would say... He's probably top three. And I say that because we've seen, not saying that Anthony Richardson can't be healthy going forward, but we've seen even throughout this season with some of the teams that have had quarterback injuries, it's almost like it's bound to happen. Like you're going to have a spot injury where you need a guy to step in for a few games just to be able to get you some wins or keep the water, you know, kind of treading. So I would say he's got to be in that top three because of the importance of the position and because, again, we don't know what the future holds for Anthony Richardson. Now, I would love to sit up here and tell you, hey, this guy's never going to get hurt again. But we don't know that. And then just knowing that the way the league is going with you know, so many dynamic pass rushers and the frequency of quarterbacks kind of getting dinged up, you want to be able to at least toss the keys to a guy that you know you trust can get the job done maybe for a week or two um, while your main guy gets ready. So I would definitely prioritize trying to bring him back, although I know he will have a lot of suitors given what he's done this season. It's off the top of my head, and guys, feel free to chime in. How many AFC teams do you think have had the same starting quarterback for every game this season? Oh, goodness. Okay. Josh uh, Bills. Allen. Yeah, okay, so I would go Bills. Tua. I, I think Tua. I, I think now I think Tua, if they don't have to play him in the final week of the year, they won't. But Mahomes Tua right now. Wilson, is that Lamar, it? Lamar Jackson. Lamar. Yeah, Lamar's been injured the last couple years, but Lamar Jackson would be one of those. Uh, Lawrence was until this week, right? Beathard didn't play a couple weeks ago. 
but that will probably change. So five of the 16, exactly. if we have this right, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tua, and Lamar Jackson. I think that's it, yeah. Five of 16. I, I, I have staggering. no idea what past precedent is on that, but James, it just strikes me as a very low number. Again, that's exactly why I would, you know, just try to prioritize the backup quarterback position. We talked to Shane Steichen about it, and I think they were very fortunate to have Gardner. And again, it's not like Gardner has been amazing as of, you know, prior to that last game. He had basically been on par for one turnover, one touchdown. But um, again, this is someone who can at least keep you afloat, which is better than most people can say about their backup quarterback situation. But um, honestly, Kevin, I must say, even in some other situations like the Bengals and, you know, for example, the Vikings, it's, it's sort of been remarkable to see some of these teams still find a way to stack a few wins with guys that, you know, have not been household names ever throughout their career. But as we've seen, when you hang on very long to that backup quarterback, they start to regress and you see why they haven't been the main guy anywhere else. So it's, it's, it's fun Josh to see Gulak play well, but – you can't see everybody do the same thing. Yeah, I, I think that would be Josh Dobbs. Just look at the NFC. I think nine of sixteen would fit that mold. Have uh, had, yeah, yeah, have oh, have had. So that's yeah. a much bigger. It's, it's a big, it's a bigger number, number but yeah. it's still so showing fourteen of yeah, it's thirty-two. Still, it's still showing you, hey, you need a you need a backup quarterback in the NFL. You just do. I mean, look at look at what the Browns have had to go through. But even look at this week, Jacksonville. I mean, their season, the AFC South title, is hanging in the balance, and CJ Beathard probably gets the start there in Jacksonville, and then Houston. The last two weeks now is having to go to a backup with Case Keenum. This just kind of adds to the point and final point that I'll make on this. Um, Salisbury reaches out and says that uh, he was listening to Ryan Russillo's podcast and said that last year there were 58 starting quarterbacks through week 15, and this year there's been 57. So I guess not that big of a difference, but, man, I don't know. Maybe it's more the marquee names than anything. It just seems like it's been bigger this year. Uh, all right, James, a uh, little plug, if you don't mind, for your Alec Pierce piece. Yeah, I had a chance to really get to know him and his family over the summer um, during one of his camps, his first one actually, back in his hometown of Glendale, Illinois. And I talked to him about sort of his mindset and why he's a 23-year-old who just doesn't care about what social media says, never gives into any negativity. And then you do some chipping away at some of his character and you find out what he's sort of been through. You know, he saw his mom, you know, battle and beat breast cancer when he was pretty young. He saw his dad, you know, donate his kidney to his uncle so his uncle could keep living um, you know, he's a guy who visits um, Raleigh Children's Hospital very frequently without, you know, a lot of the Colts fanfare. He just kind of does it on a routine basis at this point. So uh, the story basically explains why he's sort of wired the way he is, why you maybe don't see a lot of the outward frustrations because he has a really, really big um, and great perspective on life and, and, and sort of just how finite it can be. Those are his words, not mine. So. I encourage you all to check it out. Um, it's all about Alec and, and, and why he's sort of the man he is today. And I uh, had a good chance to put it together, a good time talking to his family. And this is a guy who's, you know, easy to root for. Do you want more from him production-wise? Sure. But there's also stuff in there as well about how obsessive he is about, you know, the sport itself. So look forward to you all reading that. And as James said, it will not be his college teammate under center. It'll be Taylor Heineke coming up on Sunday. James, great stuff, man. Thanks for waking up with us, and I'll see you in a bit over at the Complex. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Appreciate James Boyd joining us last segment. You miss any of him, any of our number one. Check it out. Podcast Center 1075thefan.com. We'll get back to the Colts discussion here in a little bit. Reminder, Josh Kendall, Falcons insider, beat reporter, will join us coming up in the 9 o'clock hour as well. Pacers winners last night back in action tonight in Memphis. That one 7.30, our pregame, 8 o'clock tip-off right here on the fan. And to talk about that much more, Scott Agnes joins us, Fieldhouse Files. He does so on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, good morning. Happy holidays. How are you, my man? Hey, I'm doing well. Good to be on with you this morning. Yeah, well, thank you uh, for waking up with us. Uh, you wrote in your piece, basically, Carlisle put out a uh, a very public notice, if you will, on, hey, you guys are going to have to start playing defense. And we thought for even the last couple days, maybe there would be a change to that starting lineup, I guess. What did you make of last night's win? And then on top of it, were you surprised that Carlisle didn't switch up the starting lineup at all? I didn't know exactly what changes he was hinting at, right? Nobody, those weren't exactly obvious. And so that was one of the, those, that's the most public and obvious one, though, for everybody to see to start a game, right? And so um, there's a variety of ways you can go through, and he hasn't been glued to it um, like so many coaches have been in the past. So uh, that was the first thing you were looking for, uh, for certain, after they mixed up lineups. Uh, Rick said at practice the other day and and just tried to kind of get back to things. Tyrese talked about how, you know, it was kind of like a training camp practice. You're doing some fundamental basic starter stuff that you usually don't need to or don't get to uh, get into here uh, throughout the regular season. I looked it up. I think according to my records, that was the first practice the Pacers had on their home court since – uh, I think it was November 29th before they went to Miami for a pair of weekend uh, games. Like it's been that long since they've even had time to get organized practice in. I mean, they they had a I wouldn't even call it a practice out in uh, Vegas. They they had a, a one the other day on the while on the road trip, but like that's really it. And so. so uh, some of their issues are understandable. Some of the things just need to be reinforced. Um, and so then you get to yesterday's game, and really the only thing that stood out was uh, there was that um, period where at the end of a quarter, Carlisle made an entire hockey line change and said, all right, we're not playing well enough. Let's just rotate everybody in, everybody out, keep it moving. And 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 that was uh, kind of the only noticeable difference, I think, last night. But in the big picture, I, I, you know, unless there was something he truly saw on – film i mean i'm not sure what major change you're making but i know it did have fans a little bit excited and a little bit curious going into last night's game scott agnes with us from fieldhouse files scott obviously the most important item of last night was a win and you know starting to steady the ship a little bit and you know all of those things whether you look at halliburton a little bit better you know you you, you look at very consistent bench play you know, defensively, sometimes you should have a parade if this team holds an opponent under 120 points in a given <laughs> night. Um, I feel like, arguably, one of the more important parts of last night, Scott, is no one played more than 29 minutes. So as you head into tonight, on a plane, back-to-back, rowdy environment, 
it should be a pretty fresh Pacer team, all things considered with the back-to-back. Yeah, totally agree. And in, also in the big picture, too, considering the stretch they've been on, they're on right now. Like, yeah, the, mo- the more you can play well through the first three quarters, the more you can limit yourself there in that fourth. The fact that we're seeing James Johnson get any minutes right now uh, is completely surprising and that we've seen it in several games. So you, you want that. It's, you know this, is gonna, this isn't going to feel like a regular season game. There's going to have a little additional – I don't know if it's pressure, excitement, nerves, um, let's call it tension tonight because of Memphis. Because keep in mind, last time they were there, what was it, last January, they left and felt threatened on their way out with uh, you know, a laser hitting the bus and guys not knowing what it was, some having a great idea of exactly what it was, and them just wanting to get the heck out of there. It's also, by the way, John Morant's first home game of the season after his 25-game suspension. So uh, a, a lot of tension, I think, tonight for both sides. And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. You brought up James Johnson, Scott. Um, I believe that move happened a week ago, so I haven't had a chance to ask you about it. Uh, for those unfamiliar, like, uh, could you give us a little background on James Johnson and, and what he meant to the Pacers last season? And then how much do you think that was in reaction to what happened in Milwaukee? Yeah, so James Johnson is a 15-year vet. If you think about uh, just team leadership, this is this is purely a off-court move. This is to keep the guys accountable in the locker room. He's a, a lot of the guys just go to him for anything on and off the court. Um, it, it's very much like a Udonis Haslam in Miami, and so that's that's the guy that they wanted to bring back. And he, you know, he he was down in Miami, not with another team. Uh, they. Uh, talked with him and decided to bring him back. But it was before, I guess, the that, that Milwaukee event ended up happening. They met with him, um, and the timing just worked out conveniently after that and before this Memphis game, for example, because uh, he was one of them that was kind of talking with John Morant's uh, people courtside last time they were down there. But more, or James is just a great dude, great influence in that locker room, kind of an extension of the coaching staff. Um, and so that's that's a, a nice move from that standpoint. Although I will say, part of me would like to see that 15th roster spot be used in an experimental way, right? Like bring in a 10-day. All right, he doesn't work. We're bringing another one. All right, call a guy up from the G League. Oh, you finally found one that works. I'd, I'd kind of like to see it be a little bit more of an experimental type role. Scott Agnes with us here uh, from Fieldhouse 5. Scott Agnes with us here uh, from Fieldhouse Files. Plus, he's like kind of plus he's a badass. Can we just say that? Oh, plus he he's is. like he's plus a black he's, belt, man. Yeah, plus he's like tough, <laughs> which is which is good. And I'm not going to make the joke about get there early tonight in Memphis with the uh, extra metal detectors. We'll we'll not make the joke. Uh, we'll we'll just move on. Uh, Scott Agnes with us here on the fan. Tyrese Halliburton, a slow start, but a but a better game. He has turned the ball over what 12 times in the last three games, even in that Detroit win a week or so ago. He had seven turnovers in that game. Uh, teams are defending him different. I, I, I think that's obvious. What do you think teams are doing? And then the last five games, just talk about maybe a little bit of, of an off game, a couple off games for Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, for sure. And part of it, it, it sounds like an excuse, but it's also the reality. I think he's a little bit running on fumes. Like You guys should have seen the amount of stuff 
he was doing in Las Vegas for the in-season tournament. He was getting pulled in so many different directions. They have him talk at every media availability now. So I think this is all new for, for this rising star right now. Um, some would put him in that superstar category. I think he's still facing the things that you have to check off and get to to become that, that true superstar right now. And he's, he's hit, doing them all right now, but there's a lot of growth along the way from, from just media hits to representing the franchise to being out in the community on top of what he's trying to do on the court. And um, the shot it doesn't bother me because that'll happen, right? You'll have good and, and bad games like Buddy Heald. You know, he had a bad first half, had a great second half shooting the ball last night and leading the Pacers to victory. The thing I don't like about Tyrese right now in the last week is he's gotten a little very loose with his handle. Um, almost like he, you know, like he, his passes are so good that they aren't going to get thrown away is almost like the inevitability uh, that may be going through his mind. Like he can't turn it over. Well, he's, he's gotten a little loose with it and now has had four turnovers in three straight games and has been averaging that for like a week. So, Remember those runs where we talked about, you know, two or three games in a row where he'd have 13 assists each and zero turnovers? He's got to get back to a little bit more towards that. Um, some to be expected, but some just getting, I don't know, a little loose, a little lackadaisical with it is one good change I'd like to see. Scott Agnes with us here. You can find his work over on Fieldhouse Files. Scott, um, yesterday you were kind of keeping us updated. Jarris Walker and the G League Showcase uh, could you mm-hmm. fill our audience in on exactly what that is for Walker and how he has been playing? It seems like those stints with Fort Wayne, boy, he's really filled it up. For sure, and he should. That's that's the one thing, right. too, is it's a G League. It's an entirely different level. Level. It would be concerning if he wasn't uh, having really good games, both on the stat sheet and what he's trying to do on the floor. Um, think of Orlando, where they're at right now in the G League Showcase like the old Orlando Summer League. It's truly a basketball environment, which is awesome. I went last year in Vegas, did not go this year purely because I was tired after spending a week out in <laughs> Vegas for this in-season tournament. But it, it, it's incredible from a standpoint. It's teams, it's executives, it's media and agents. No fans. Um, you know, there's no, no one hyping the crowd in between you know, timeouts and anything like that. So it's strictly basketball there and with Jarris. They're trying to pay, play for $100,000 for that Mad Ants team if they win their next two games because they're easily the best team in the G League. They've won, I think, 13 in a row um, and are just playing great basketball despite guys going in and out of the lineup. And for Jarris, more than the numbers, what you want to see is how comfortable does he look on the floor. Is he getting teammates involved? Is he making the right reads offensively and defensively? That more specifically, more than a 30-point game or – eight rebounds or six assists, it, it, you're fundamentally trying to watch him play basketball because you know the numbers are inevitable. Scott, last one for me, and this is off the floor, and I've been meaning to ask you this. We really just have had other, I think, pressing topics. It's not incredibly time-sensitive, but we saw the announcement, I don't know, maybe now about a month ago that uh, Stephen Rails, I believe I'm saying that correctly, is yeah. you know now, um, what is it, 20% stake in the Pacers? Is that correct? Yeah, he had 5% and is now, um, once approved, will be 20%. Okay. Uh, what can you tell us about Steven Rails and what do you think this means for the future of the franchise? Yeah, we haven't got a, t- a ton more clarity, to be honest, on this front. It all kind of happened all at once. I think that was right before the Vegas trip and the tournament and all of that. Um, he's a, he has a DePaul degree. Uh, has some Indiana connections because of it, has given back there as well. 
um, and has been very successful in the business world, including uh, kind of uh, in the filmmaking business as part of that is one of his businesses. I, this is something I would love to te- talk with Herb or Steve Simon about directly, just kind of the, the bigger purpose behind that. Um, whether it was diversifying their investments or getting more money now or maximizing the investment right now. Uh, there, I haven't heard anything specific KB just yet. Like just why now um, increase his, his shares uh, in the company and more to that. I'd love to hear um, if he has any greater input or if he has, any, any big ideas or is this strictly a financial decision here? But I don't think it's the worst thing to have another bigger voice or, um, in there and, and maybe an influx of money a little bit. Um, because when you're 5%, you're really not even playing ball. You're not getting it, probably any of the phone calls or anything. At 20%, they might loop you in a little bit. But still, to be clear, the Simons have the majority share. Um, and I, I don't think it's approved yet by the Board of Governors, but I think it's very soon, if not this week. So perhaps we'll get some more news on that front and would hopefully like to learn a little bit more about Stephen Rails as well. Does Stephen Simon still live out in California? I believe Steve Simon lives in San Francisco, but is very often back to Indianapolis. Yeah, I was going to say, I see him a lot um, at uh, at you know various Pacers events. But yeah, I was curious if he still lived out there. The expectation, I guess, NBA-wise, Scott, is for expansion, not necessarily moving to franchises. Isn't like, you know, it almost seems like Vegas and, I don't know, Seattle, get it up to 32. Doesn't that seem to be the popular uh, thought with the NBA? Yeah, yeah. It would, I, the, the thought is after this next TV deal, which is the big thing right now, it's the, almost the entire reason it feels like for that in-season tournament, for example. It's much like in the NFL, they just all of a sudden made up and and Thursday night football and all of a sudden there's another billion dollars for the NFL. Well, the NBA, there's this in-season tournament, for example. So once you have the expansion set, then the current owners get all that money, do not have to share it with the players. Um, then I think you'll see the expansion um, probably to a couple more teams. And no, this is not directly related to that, I don't believe, at all. We even had Herb in a direct statement now, even before it's gone final, which I appreciated from, from Herb Simon and the Pacers, say, I have no intention, you know, Indiana's my second home, and, you know, we intend to keep the team here, whatever. And on top of that, uh, we've known for the last many years that Steve Simon, his son, like we just referenced, he's the one set to take over the team, take over more roles whenever uh, Herb it, you know, doesn't want to do anything more with it or, or whatever um, and moves on. And so uh, it'll be in the Simon family. It's just this is a, a secondary ownership person coming in. And what you're seeing a trend throughout ownerships more so in the NBA is it becoming more groups, like investment funds. So the fact that the Pacers had limited it here to mostly the Simon family and now just one other individual – I think that's a real positive. It's not like this is uh, an investment group coming in and, and trying to change everything and make a make it uh, more successful and then sell it off for a profit. Yeah, I think you know, just some curiosity around Central Indiana, honestly, and you know, the eventual oh, passing of torches from you know Herb down, and then you know Roger Penske over at IMS, Jim Irsay with the Colts, and all of that. Uh, all right, Scott, great stuff, man. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas to you, and thanks as always for joining us every Thursday. Yeah, you bet it. Thanks, guys. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, back at a 9 o'clock hour here on The Wake Up Call. As always, broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. Reminder, coming up tonight, about 7.30, 8 o'clock tip-off there in Memphis. We got you covered with the Pacers and Grizzlies. And then what's that, Sunday at 10 a.m., KB, all the pregame coverage, Colts and Falcons. What TV are you doing this week, by the way? What do we need to look out for yeah, you? I always I forget wish, what you're doing. Okay. Which TV action on Sunday morning? Morning, and before we get a little bit more to the Falcons, I do want to mention this great read on the Athletic this morning on uh, the relationship between Brock Purdy and Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, really? Former Cyclones of Iowa State. They had class together at Iowa State. I think, in a way, they kind of have similar career paths from a bit unheralded from a recruiting standpoint. And uh, I've obviously become very respective stars in their own sports there. So, good read. Does sound like those two have a pretty close relationship. So. Fun read over there. Did you happen to see the uh, number that's going around that Brock Purdy's making a 870k this year, and that Arch Manning made 3.2 mil in NIL this past oh my God. season in Texas? Life is not fair, yeah, right? It's it's not. Uh, let's bring in Josh Kendall from the Athletic, talking uh, some Falcons football with him. Josh, uh, happy holidays! Thanks for joining us this morning. How are you, ma'am? Pretty good. How y'all? Man, we're good. Uh, getting ready for the holidays and and, uh, and everything like that. And obviously a big game coming up, both teams on Sunday. You know, I said earlier, Josh, that you know this reminded me, this Atlanta team reminded me a little bit of the Steeler team that the Colts played last week. Obviously, Arthur Smith and Mike Tomlin are, are different in what they've accomplished, but embattled coach, kind of a mess at quarterback, angry, frustrated fan base, but a team that has skill positions, right, that you would want on your respective teams what's the psyche of this Atlanta team have they checked out do they still have fight in them what's your read of the situation before we get ready for the game on Sunday I don't think they checked out I do think that their confidence is low and it's possible that if things start poorly Sunday in Atlanta that it will they will look checked out but I don't I don't think that they have given up um I think that Arthur Smith is making a change of quarterback as much as anything to kind of give this team a little bit of a spark. I think he, I think he felt like if he threw Desmond Ritter out there again, they would think, here we go again. Maybe now with Taylor Heineke, who brings a little bit different play style, basically the same statistical results, but a much different attitude to the position. Maybe this, it'll loosen this team up a little bit, you know, kind of get it out of this slide. Josh, if you did a fan poll right now, lose and tank, win and stay alive, what would be the percentages for Falcons fans? I mean, I think you'd be at 75, 80% lose and tank. They have, they have signed out on the Arthur Smith experience. They're done. You know, they, um, he, he um, never, I don't think most of them ever got real warm and fuzzy with the guy because he doesn't come across real warm and fuzzy at the podium. He is not the guy that you see at the podium in, you know, in, in real life. But what you see at the podium, you know, is not a guy you can put your arms around a lot of times. And so Falcons fans have been skeptical for a while, um, and they are officially checked out now. So there, if you ask them to vote, they'd say, lose all three, get us in a good draft position, let a new coach make the pick. 
Given that, Josh, again, Josh Kendall from The Athletic with us here covers the Falcons. We appreciate his time. Given that, what do you expect in environment-wise? I mean, I'm looking here on a secondary market, you know, 20 bucks for tickets in the upper deck for Sunday afternoon. It's obviously Christmas Eve. Uh, what do you think the environment will be like? It'll be mostly mostly empty, half empty probably. Um, they, you know, they had a, when they were in contention the midseason, they were starting to get a little juice in town starting to get a little bit of a home field advantage, but it's always been a place where in the city of Atlanta, which is such a transient city, where if you've got somebody like the Steelers, like um, the Saints who have a traditional national type fan base, you'd get more Eagles even. You get more of those people than the Falcons fans. Hadn't seen that as much this year, and I don't know what the Colts traveling squad or the Colts contingent in Atlanta is like, but, you know, if, if you heard more cheers when the Colts do something well than when the Falcons do something well on Sunday, I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, you have to think, I mean, and Josh Kendall joining us here on the Payless Lakers Hotline. I mean, we always have fun with Atlanta finds a way to lose, unless you're the Braves, of course. Uh, and the Falcons, I mean, the last two weeks, that loss to the Bucks had that game wrapped up. It would have, you know, made it three straight wins. And then you can't lose to the Panthers, make the playoffs and keep your job. You just can't lose to the Carolina Panthers the way they did. Yeah, I mean, this has been a very, very Falcon season. This team's last four, in this team's last four losses. Now, you got to understand, this defense is pretty good. This defense has played pretty well. Statistically, it's in the top ten in the NFL in a lot of categories. But in their last four losses, the opponent has driven at least 70 yards and scored the game-winning points in the final 31 seconds. <laughs> mm. You know, some of that mm. goes back to the confidence I'm talking about. Some of that goes back to a defense that by that point in the season, by that point in each game, is just worn out because its offense is not giving it enough help. And that, and specifically at the defensive line position, where they've had a real rough, rough run of luck at tackle, and are very thin, especially in fourth quarter at tackle. Again, Josh Kendall with the Athletic is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline, giving us some Falcons insight ahead of Sunday. I, I would guess the defense would kind of be in this boat, but Josh, if you're going to label, you know, a, a strength and a weakness for this team, because there have been a ton of one possession losses, uh, where would you point for both of those? The strength would be the defense. The strength would be, you know, I don't know that you can pick out any one unit on the defense, but overall that group has held its own in some tough situations. And then the weakness is quarterback position, just because it's every part of the offense is underperforming, but it all starts, as it always does, with the quarterback position. That's where they've got to get right. That's where they've got to quit turning the ball over. That's where they've got to get a little spark. You think better chance Arthur Smith is the head coach come next September or Desmond Ritter is the opening day starter next September? Ooh. Arthur Smith, for sure. I mean, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Arthur Blank, the team owner, um, you know, it just w- wants at this point in his, in his life to go through another coaching regime change, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a real chance that Arthur Smith returns this year. Wow. If this team doesn't just go completely in the tank, I do not think that there's a chance that Desmond Ritter starts for this team in 2024. Uh, you mentioned that, I guess, just as a follow-up and going back to the beginning of our conversation. Again, Josh Kendall from The Athletic. We're talking some uh, some Falcons football here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Heineke over Ritter. Uh, I, I assume you think that's the right call. Why is that the right call? What would Heineke do, do you think, that Ritter simply won't be able to provide here the final couple weeks of the season? I, I You know, I... This is not an easy quarterback call because these guys are performing basically the same. Desmond is statistically better than than 
tailored in a lot of categories, including for completion percentage by a large margin. It's just that Desmond's confidence, I think, is pretty shot because of the critical mistakes in critical situations. Taylor Heineke, you know, the Falcons, like most teams, they have the starting quarterback, has a standard media availability every week. Falcons, it's Wednesday at 12.30 after the head coach comes into the main media room at the podium. So this is not like in the locker room. This is a little bit more formal than what you see, what you, the normal setting. Taylor Heineke rolls in yesterday, taking over the starting job, wearing his Bush beer hoodie. And <laughs> asked about it, he explains he, that he got fined last year for drinking Bush Light on the commander's plane ride home. And so Bush sent him a lot of, you know, free clothes. And so he just wears them all the time. That's what Taylor is going to bring. Shout out to him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to bring, you know, we asked him if he's auditioning for the starting job. And he says, no, because every time I play like that, I play poorly. I'm just going to go out there and play and try to remind everybody that we're, we're supposed to have fun. And this team probably needs that because it's in, down in the dumps so, so badly. Gosh, I love that. If the Gardner Minshew back up resigning yeah. doesn't happen, the Colts need Taylor Heineke. Period. Well, Heineke, I asked Heineke if he knew Minshew, and he said he did not, but he thinks they would get along better. Oh, yeah, they're, they're kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I mean, no, absolutely. Uh-huh. They're kindred spirits. No, no. I love that. Yeah, you can't drink on the plane ride home because, you know, some guys would take advantage of that, didn't they? I mean, there's been issues. Guys have got loaded on the plane ride home, and then you got to get right. home once you land the plane, you know? Yeah, you are operating a vehicle yeah. after that. Josh, great stuff, man. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, appreciate you hopping on with us. Same, guys. Take care.